Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. This is episode number 38 of the MMA podcast that brings you fighting talk with a distinctly British flavour. My name is Simon Head and joining me via the wonders of Skype is Mr. Chimakar Sandu. How are you, buddy? Feeling refreshed, re-energised. It's been a nice little break with no big UFC action and we've got a belter of a card coming up this Saturday night with UFC 211. And uh, and Saturday just can't come fast enough for me. It's weird. Normally, when you get a a, a, a bit of a run up leading into a card, you get the build up, and every, you know by the time fight night arrives, everyone's going absolutely crazy for it. That buzz is only just beginning to kick in. It feels to me like the card is still kind of flying under the radar. Which, if you look at the fight card, is absolutely ridiculous. It, it it's it's going to be one hell of a fight card. Um, you know, there's good fights on the prelims on Fight Pass. There's very good fights on the prelims on FX, and the main card is is absolute top of the milk stuff, as uh, the legendary darts commentator Sid Waddell would would have said back in the day. Absolutely top draw MMA from start to finish. It's going to be it's going to be some night. So that's what we're going to do this week on episode number 38. We're going to go through UFC 211 through that fight card, pick out some of the stories, some of the fights that we're particularly looking forward to, maybe share a little prediction or two, you never know. Then we'll get into your questions and we'll answer your questions and uh, we will try and wrap this thing up in something approximating an hour. We will see how that goes. That normally means you're going to be here for at least two, but we'll see how it goes. So Sandu, how do we want to do this? Do you want to work bottom to top or do you want to work top to bottom? How do we want to do this? Well, to be fair, I'm looking at the card right now, and aside from perhaps Jessica Aguilar versus Courtney Casey, the preliminary card is pretty much full of unknowns, you know, fighters without Wikipedia pages, um, and and to be honest with you, fighters that do belong at that portion and that end of the card, the uh, the fight pass only prelims. But um, I think we should just focus on the televised uh, prelims, um, which will be kind of like the FX portion um, in the US, uh, the BT Sports um, stream for for us, and also UFC Fight Pass. And then just head on straight into that chocker block five fight main card. Okay, so the prelim card, Sandu, is actually on FX this week, which is a little bit different. It's normally on on Fox Sports. You've got theories to why that is. I don't, I'm not 100% sure myself, but um, yeah, it is normally a Fox Sports 1 or Fox Sports 2. This week, it's on FX in the States. Yeah, I've got a sneaky suspicion uh, that it might be to do with the NBA playoffs. Uh, those always draw massive ratings for the major broadcasters stateside. It's the, the big sweepstakes, you know. Um, it's it's crunch and the business end of the season. It's like um, you know Sky Sports or BT Sport trying to you know get as many end of the end of the season Premier League games for the top two or three teams that are vying for the Premiership or something like that. Every game matters. Everyone's tuning in. So I've got I've got a little bit of a suspicious feeling that might be it. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, we got four fights on that prelim card, and I've got to say that that makes a tidy little fight card of its own. To be honest, if you had a sort of a a medium to low level fight night show and you put those four fights on it, especially the featured prelim, which we'll get to in a, in a, in a few minutes. I think people will be quite happy. The first one is Marco Polo Reyes versus James Vick. Now I was in the arena in uh, the forum in Englewood, California at USC 199 where Marco Polo Reyes and Dong Hyun Kim, the other Dong Hyun Kim, as we like to call him, the, uh, the lightweight version, they borderline stole the show 
um, at UFC 199. One of the sleeper contenders for fight of the year in 2016. Amazing performance. That fight had everything except for head movements, Andrew. It was, it was great fun. Everyone who was in the arena early absolutely loved that fight. Great performance uh, from both the guys. And Polo Reyes has gone on from that. And he's got himself a, a sizable, a sizable test in a form of James Vick, who is a local lad. Um, it's, it's a tough one to see Reyes getting the win here. Vick on home soil. It's hard to back against him, Sandu. Yeah, Marco Polo Reyes uh, last summer, Inglewood, up to no good. He was up to no good that night. He got the job done. But uh, but yeah, I mean, James Vick, you know, the backstory here is this event's held in Dallas, Texas, and, and he's a proud uh, Texas native, as is our good friend John Morgan. And um, he really wanted to get on this card, and he got his wish. And I'm always kind of curious to see how fighters react to the opportunity to fight in their home country or their home state or their hometown. You know, I get it. You've got the opportunity to have your friends and family and, and you know, and, and fans come and see you uh, live and in action instead of watching it on TV. Easy access for them. But how do the how do the fighters react? Do, do, do fighters kind of use that as a as some adrenaline and get them through the fight, give them that extra ten percent, or perhaps you know do, does the uh, the occasion overwhelm them? I've got a feeling, just from a stylistic point of view, first of all, like you mentioned, I think the boxing, the range, um, the reach advantage that James Vick's going to have in this fight, I think will be enough to get the job done. And if that isn't enough to get the job done, I think just that home crowd environment will be the proverbial 12th man on the pitch for him and uh, and kind of you know egg him on to get the job done. Yeah, I think Polo Reyes will make him fight. There is no doubt about that. He will stand toe-to-toe with him and throw leather. Vic is a big, rangy lightweight. He's got, he must be one of the tallest lightweights on, on, on the UFC roster, I would have thought. And in terms of his, his reach, he must be right up there for having one of the longest reaches. He's got a 10-1 record. Um, he got knocked out actually on the same card that we were talking about just now, UFC 199. He got sparked out by Benil Dariush, absolutely uh, crushed with a with a huge punch by Benil Dariush in that. that. That was one of the knockouts of the year uh, from Benil Dariush in that. But that was his only career defeat, and he's beaten some solid opposition. He's got wins. He's got a submission over Ramsey Nijem, who's a solid competitor in the Ultimate Fighter. He's back in the Ultimate Fighter house right now. Um, you wouldn't know that because you're not watching it, are you, Sander? Tough. You're not really. You're not really. I'm doing... not, mate. I'm watching. I'll, I'll watch the highlights <laughs> on social media between uh, TJ and Cody, and uh, and aside from that, I'm all out. <laughs> I tell you, you're missing out. It's good fun so far. But Ramsey right. Nijam, who hasn't fought uh, on 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 this season yet, uh, is uh, is in the house. Um, he went through the, uh, a previous season of the Ultimate Fighter, got himself into UFC. Uh, he got subbed by James Vick. Nick Hine, who we know very well on this show, friend friend of the show, Nick Hine, he he uh, lost out as well to James Vick via decision. Jake Matthews, considered one of the hot up-and-coming prospects um, out of Australia. Vick subbed him in a round, you know, uh, and he's after losing to Benil Darius at 199, he came back and beat Abel Trujillo uh, with, a, with a third round submission. He's solid, I'll tell you, and I think he's one of these fighters who... We haven't seen the best of him. I think he's capable of really making a run in this lightweight division. And if he, he should be dealing with someone like Marco Polo Reyes. But uh, he has this kind of languid fight style. Reyes is going to be right in his face. If he gets that one done, expect bigger 
and better opposition for the Texecutioner, James Vick. Now, the next fight, Sando, I'm really, really looking forward to this. Middleweight contest between two guys who right now are flying under the radar at 185 pounds for two very different reasons. You've got Christoph Jotko, um, who is a very, very tricky uh, Polish fighter. Very, very awkward style, up on his toes, moves around, very unorthodox, but gets the job done against Dave Branch, who has been in the UFC before, uh, has gone away and has become a two-weight world champion in a World Series of Fighting. Now he is back, back, back in the UFC. He wants to make a run at in the uh, the UFC's 185-pound division. This is his coming out party on his return to the UFC. Arguably, he couldn't have faced a trickier opponent to prepare for. This is going to be a fascinating contest. Yeah, this is decent matchmaking by the UFC because, like you said, David Branch, he went away from the UFC, uh, made a name for himself for the World Series of Fighting, became a two-weight champion, and he's come back and he's going to fight Christoph Jotko. And I think this will be a good litmus test just to see where he's at. But I want to talk about Christoph Jotko for a second because he has been a gypsy for the UFC. Check out the locations of his last five fights, which he has won. All, by the way. Stockholm, Sweden. Dublin, Ireland. London, England. Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. And Sao Paulo, Brazil. So this is going to be his very first fight in the United States. And, and he has been globetrotting, to say the least. Well, I mean, you can, you can even go back earlier than that. Um, he fought in... Uh, his first fight in the UFC was in Brisbane. Then he went to Berlin... And then he embarked on the run that you've just said. So he's never fought in the same place twice. I don't know whether many of our listeners remember The Littlest Hobo, uh, which was a children's TV program about a dog. Uh, and uh, he is The Littlest Hobo of the UFC. Uh, he, he, everywhere he goes, wherever he lays his hat, that's his home. And uh, wherever the UFC pitches their octagon, Christoph Yotko will pitch up and uh, throw down. He specialises in decisions. He got one big knockout win over Tam Dan McCrory uh, last year. Was it last year? Yeah, it was last summer, uh, UFC Fight Night in uh, in Ontario. But really, it's been it's been uh, decisions all the way in the UFC for Yoko, who, as I say, is a very tricky opponent, very hard to look good against. So if uh, if Dave Branch can put him away, uh, then that will be a real statement, I think. Um, he's coming in, he's on a sizable winning streak, I'm just off the top of, oh, where are we? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 fight win streak, scanning Wikipedia there very quickly, 11 fight win streak for Dave Branch, uh, submissions, decisions, TKO over Yushida Kami, that's not to be sniffed at. You know, I'd, argue, I'd argue, though, Simon, that although he's got the longer win streak, I think that the the five wins that Christoph Jotko has got on his record are against better competition. Tor Trong, Scott Askham, Brad Scott, Tam Dan McCorry, and Talas Latis. That's a pretty decent bunch of middleweights. I mean, it's not top 10. Well, maybe Talas Latis is. Maybe the upper end of top 10 yeah, when he probably fought ne- him. Near and near but, enough, yeah. But... You know, the others are all between 10 and 20. You know, in the UFC, um, you know, Scott Askham is not obviously anymore. But, you know, these guys are kind of battle-tested, really tough, gritty fighters and very, very difficult uh, to beat, which is why I'm not surprised that when he has beaten them, he's got decisions over them. 
So who are you picking then, Sandu? We've got Jocko, oh. very tricky to deal with. He's the guy who's going to be perhaps more comfortable uh, in the UFC just because he's already there. He's had plenty of fights in the UFC. Or you've got Dave Branch, who overall is a more experienced fighter, but this is his comeback fight on the big show. Yeah. Uh, and he's looking to prove a point, but he's also a double world champion. So where are you going with this? Are you going with uh, Yotko, the man, the man in the seat, or are you going with the guy making his way in, Dave Branch? I mean, I know that Dave Branch is probably a, a, uh, the bigger middleweight. I mean, you know, he's, he's fought a lot heavyweight quite a few times. It's, it's, a, it's a tough one. It's a really tough one for me to call this one. Um, you know what? I'm going to... I'm going to assume that David Branch is a favourite. I haven't looked at the odds. I'm not really a gambler. I'm going to I'm going to assume that David Branch is the uh, the odds-on favourite to win this fight. I'm going to go for Christoph Jotko here. I, I think that David Branch coming back to the UFC, um, coming back in as a two-weight champion. Yes, he might feel like he's kind of gone away from the UFC. He's polished his game up and he's coming back. But I think that the occasion might get to him. And and I think with Christoph Jotko. You know, you've got someone like we just we just went through his record of locations. He is very well adept to fighting on foreign soil. He, he he that's not an issue for him. You know, it's par for the course. And I think he's going to go in there. And I think he's going to grind out another decision. That's my kind of my kind of outside kind of bet there, kind of from a distance. If I'm probably like leaning 55, 45 in favor of Christoph Jocko. It is a tough one to pick. Harder to pick than a broken nose, as someone once told me. Um, I'm going to go to the other side of the coin. You like that one, didn't you? I'm going to go to the other side of the coin with uh, with Dave Branch. I think he'll be the bigger, stronger middleweight in there. Assuming he has no problems with the weight cut, and I don't see any reason why he would. Um, I think he comes in there with a, with a boatload more experience. Um, I think he, I think he'll be the bigger, stronger man in there. I think if he gets his hands on Yoko. That's going to be the real, like, range is always the deciding factor in these fights. Whoever controls the range has a huge advantage. And if Branch closes the distance and gets his paws on Christoph Yotko, I think it will be a bad night for the pole. Um, I'm going to go with Dave Branch. Um, but I do think, with it only being a three-round fight rather than a, rather than a main event, he's going to have to get about his business quick. He can't, be, he can't afford to give away that first round to Yotko who will look to stick and move and be elusive and slippery in that first round. So, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to go with the, the returning veteran Dave Branch to get that one. Now, featherweights, two guys, you could not wish for two scrappier, more entertaining featherweights to stick on the prelim card of a big pay-per-view event such as this. If you want to tee up what's coming up later, you want to give people something entertaining to watch while you're imploring them to part with their 60 bucks to buy the pay-per-view, you want to put on a fight that's going to be a real sort of knock-down, drag-out, slobber-knocker of a contest. And the fight that will do that for them is this one here. Chaz Skelly, Jason Knight. This is going to be... I think this could be fight of the night. Despite the fact we've got so many great matchups that we will talk about on this card, this one might just well steal the show in terms of fight of the night, Ollers. Um, really, really looking forward to this. Skelly is in, who looks to be improving every time we see him. He he looks in great form. Jason the Kid Knight, Hick Diaz, as the media have, have dubbed him, 
he's on a nice little three-fight win streak right now. This one's going to be a cracker, Sandu. Yeah, and Charles Gurley's another Texan who's uh, got an opportunity here to fight in his home state. He, um, he's he got a knack of getting some rear naked chokes. He, he loves uh, getting chokes around the neck. And um, I don't know, I, I've got a sneaky, suspicious feeling that Charles Gurley might get another one here um, against uh, Jason Knight. Although, having said that, you know, Jason Knight, uh, he's coming off a rear naked choke win of him of his own against Alex Caceres. So, yeah, and that, that, that was actually a really good fight. I enjoyed that. That was a couple of months back in January. Um, but yeah, flip a coin, take your pick. But if I'm going to, you know, if you've got a gun to my head, I'm going to lean either which way. I might just lean towards Chaz Kelly here. Yeah, I think, I think there might be a little bit more buzz around Jason Knight. But I think, you, you know, you look at Skelly's record. He's, he's only lost two fights. And those fights were against Masab Bektik, who he took the distance. Uh, and Darren Elkins, who he also took the distance. So he's never been finished. And the only two guys who have actually beaten him, one of them was by a majority decision, Bektik. Not all of the judges gave the fight to Bektik. You know, there was a draw in there. So Elkins and Bektik, if you're, if you're dropping decisions to those guys, you're not doing too bad. And everybody else, I mean, he's beaten a former Cage Warriors champion in Jim Allers. He's been in there with Maximo Blanco and most recently he beat Chris Grutzmacher. But I think I think this is going to be probably the toughest fight that he's had aside from those two losses. And you take a look at you know, you take a look at Jason the Kid Knight. He's lost to Kawajiri in the UFC. That was his debut, but he's beaten Jim Allers as well. Dan Hooker, who I who I always enjoy watching fight, he beat him. And Alex Caceres. I'm I'm siding with with uh, with Hick Diaz here, Jason the Kid Knight. I just think he might be the guy uh, to sort of take it take it up a level. But this is going to be a cracking fight. I'm really looking forward to that one. So you're going with uh, Chas Skelly, aren't you? You're going with Skelly for this one. Yeah, I'm going with Skelly. So uh, we've got a bit of a uh, difference of opinion here on this. this. Uh, it is good. I don't know. We should try to figure out some way of uh, making things interesting moving forward with some of these uh, predictions. Are in the you future. suggesting a wager? Something. We need to figure something out. Maybe, maybe listeners can throw a suggestion or two at us and figure out what we can do with the show. Maybe we can I, make it into a segment. I don't think we should listen to the listener suggestions. <laughs> They'll offer up some sort of crazy crazy forfeit which i will inevitably have to do so no yeah whatever it is let's see let's see what we do even if even if it's for a pint then uh, i think we should put something on it maybe but, a pint and a cheeky nando's a pint and a cheeky nando's i can i can stress to that but uh, yeah that that's going to be a cracker now that is all merely the uh, the hors d'oeuvre the starter the appetizer the taster ahead of the main card. However, before we go into the main card, there is one fight that really would walk onto any main card anywhere in the world except Dallas on Saturday night, by the sounds of it. Eddie Alvarez versus Dustin Poirier at £155. This is Eddie Alvarez's first fight having lost his lightweight world championship to Conor McGregor. You might have read about it. At UFC 205, He's taking on the diamond, Dustin Poirier, who is always one of the most exciting fighters uh, in the UFC. He's never in a bad fight, that guy. And uh, I think just a stylistic matchup between these two, um, it's going to be that will be one of the best fights of the night as well. Just from a stylistic point of view, that's one of those where you almost want to shut your laptop lid, sit back, and just watch it because 
There's going to be so much going on. It's going to be such high pace. And it's such a tough fight to pick. It is such a tough fight to pick. Poirier last year was moving his way up to world championship level. And he just fell short. You know, I think he was... I think he was one fight away from potentially being right in the mix. And then he lost to Michael Johnson in a fight that a lot of people, myself included, were tipping him to win. And he got knocked out in the first round. Um, and now he's looking to rebuild his, his, uh, his, his standing again. He beat Jim Miller. And now he's got the former champ. But if he'd have beaten Michael Johnson that day, he might have been in a position where perhaps he could have been fighting Eddie Alvarez. Um, so we've now got this, this fight, which way are you leaning with this, Sandu? Cause this is, this is, this is a tricky one. This really is. And you've got to think about Eddie Alvarez and what he must've gone through the last six months or so dropping the title to Conor McGregor who he was so confident he was in a... Uh, listen, every fighter's confident, but you and me were both there in New York. We saw the build-up. You know, the, I felt like he had a bit of a chip on his shoulder. Like, how dare this featherweight come up to lightweight? I've been a career lightweight. You know, you, you're not going to take this belt off me. I'm battle-tested. Your left hook ain't going to do nothing to me. And lo and behold, look what happened. And I, and I felt like, or, I, you know, from a distance, I feel like, you know... He had a bit of egg on his face, and he's been kind of dealing with a little bit of uh, embarrassment from losing to McGregor on that massive stage. Um, I'm sure the paycheck didn't hurt, and I'm sure that's is probably why he's been able to take some time off. Um, you know, not just to kind of recover from the actual knockout itself, uh, but to kind of you know rebuild himself and kind of get back in, into the gym and start preparing for this comeback. I think he's got a fair bit to prove himself just to ins- to make sure that people haven't forgotten about him because it does feel like with all this Mayweather-McGregor talk that that uh, New York uh, fight card and event uh, seemed like it was like a million miles away from, from where we are today. You know, it seems like it took place a decade ago. Um, but listen, Eddie, Eddie Alvarez, when it comes to, you know, stages like this, typically does perform. Now, you mentioned, Simon, that... Dustin Poirier was on a nice little win streak, and he um, he just couldn't win the big one against Michael Johnson, and that's been my thing with Dustin Poirier his entire career. If you look back before the Conor McGregor loss, he was on a nice little win streak. Before that, he had a nice opportunity at the time to fight Cub Swanson, lost that one as well. And before that, it was Chan Sung Young. And, you know, it's it's interesting because he's got wins on his record against the likes of Max Holloway, the current featherweight interim champion. You know, he's got wins against Joseph Duffy, Bobby Green. You know, on his night, he can do the business. He really, really can. But I've just got a feeling that we're building back up to another big one now. And I just, I, I just don't see him getting this one done. I, I can't give you a technical analysis of as, as to why. I just feel like you see some fighters, Simon, and something tells you, you know what, they'll they'll win most of their fights, but when it, when they get that big opportunity, when they get the opportunity or the chance to perhaps get into title contendership, they're not going to make it. And that's always been my feeling with Dustin Poirier. So based on that and the fact that Eddie Alvarez is used to a big stage like this, used to fighting on pay-per-view, even though technically he's not on the pay-per-view portion of this particular card, I'm just leaning towards Eddie Alvarez here. 
Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. Like, I almost want to back Dustin Poirier in this because I think he's got the talent to be to be a world championship contender. I really do believe that. I just think there's something in his psyche that he can't get rid of. And I remember after the Michael Johnson fight and heading into the Jim Miller fight, throughout fight week, he was telling everybody who would listen ahead of UFC 208 in Brooklyn, I'm, I'm a changed man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight smart now. I'm not going to get involved in these tear-ups anymore because that's, that's, you know, sometimes they go well for me, sometimes they don't go well for me. And, uh, you know, I've got more skills than that. I'm going to fight a bit more, a bit more, uh, a bit more uh, smart. And he went in there with Jim Miller and that lasted about 40 seconds. And then he ended up in a slugfest again. Um, and, and, you know, everyone had a bit of a laugh and a joke. And I think he had a bit of a laugh and joke about it afterwards. He won the majority decision, got fight the night bonus. But there is this just this switch. And you can almost see it in a fight with Poirier. Something happens, the red mist descends, and then he, it's berserker mode, and he just goes for it. And against the very best guys, that's a bad, bad thing to do. And Eddie Alvarez has walked through the fire many a time. Um, and uh, I can see this one degenerating into a bit of a, a bit of a back and forth slugfest as well. And when you have, and, and then when you get to that stage, you ask yourself, who's got the better punch resistance? Who takes a shot better? Um, who is more likely? to keep their head and maybe mix things up a bit. And I think, I think that would be Eddie Alvarez. Um, unless McGregor has done something to Alvarez's chin uh, and has left him sort of a little bit more, a little bit more uh, suspect in the chin department. Uh, I think, I think Alvarez will be enough, will have enough and enough savvy when, you know, when the punches are flying to, uh, to be able to switch things up and, uh, Get get a few fight winning takedowns, mix things up, and, and get the win. But that is going to be a barn burner. That's just the preview, Sandu. That's just the pre four four fights that are all going to be, I think, very very entertaining. And whether they bring finishes or whether they all go to distance, I don't think we're going to be that disappointed with any of them. I think they're all going to deliver. But let's talk about the main card, shall we? Mm. Flyweights: Henry Cejudo versus Sergio Pettis. We've got this perennial problem of what do we do in the flyweight division in the UFC well here's here's what here's what I think we need to do we need to bet without Demetrius Johnson at this point and say okay who's the next best guy in the flyweight division and right now these two these two guys are jockeying for position to be considered you know the number one contender Pettis I think has got a little bit more work to do he's got a bit more proving to do and I guess this is the acid test for him. If he can beat Henry Cejudo, then he really has leapt himself right up there into contention. And that would be good for the UFC because that would be a new name to get in there with Demetrius Johnson uh, as, as the year progresses. Henry Cejudo, Olympic gold medalist. We know all about him. Heavy hands um, and uh, obviously excellent wrestling. Um, is this going to be Cejudo's, Cejudo's win or are we going to see another... Another Pettis propel himself into championship contention. What do you think? I'm really not sure, Simon. And this is another interesting fight because it's funny to even contemplate this, but Cejudo is facing three back-to-back losses if he doesn't get the job done on Saturday night. How crazy is that to think? Yeah, he lost the title fight against DJ. He lost uh, his comeback fight against uh, Benavidez. And now he's got himself into another pay-per-view slot 
I, I mean, I get why they've put him on the pay-per-view. I get why they've got him on the card. You know, you're in Dallas, Texas. He's going to bring in that Mexican crowd, and they're going to buy tickets, and I get it. So it's a good bit of matchmaking and placement for ticket sales. But you've, but you've got him in a situation where he's fighting Sergio Perez, who's, who's streaking, and he's on form right now. And although personally, I would like to see Ray Borg fight Brandon Moreno for a number one title contendership, you know, get to get the next title shot against Demetrius Johnson. You can make a case that if Sergio Pettis beats Henry Cejudo on, on Saturday night, that'll be four wins in a row, and it's a fresh face and a fresh name, someone that Demetrius Johnson, you know, hasn't fought before. And you know, if if Pettis beats Cejudo and then cuts a promo on the mic, job done. I, th- I, th- I think he might be able to sneak in there, you know, with perhaps Borg and Moreno being matched up later on in the later on in the year, perhaps uh, to get a shot maybe in the first half of 2017, something of that ilk. Um, so that's what I think could happen. I mean, it's still a tough fight, though. I mean, it's, it's, so, it's so hard, you know, to to kind of definitely, definitively kind of say, you know what, I think Sergio Perez is going to win because. Like you said, Sahudo is such an amazing grappler slash wrestler with his background. And we've seen in the past with, you know, Sergio's older brother, Anthony Pettis, you know, he came, he came from this amazing taekwondo kickboxing background and he did suffer some losses, uh, you know, to grapplers, to wrestlers in the early stage of his career, especially when he got to the UFC. So perhaps, you know, this might be a learning curve uh, fight for Sergio Perez, unless he's been able to really, um, you know, incorporate the grappling aspect of the game a little bit earlier and better than Big Brother. So if I'm leaning towards anyone, I think I'm going to go for the more experienced veteran athlete and competitor in Henry Cejudo. Um, and he's got his back to the wall. So I think he's going to have to really kind of, you know, let his hands go as well a little bit and prove something and make a, make a bit of a statement. But I'm just leaning towards Henry Sudo. I'm talking, again, 55-45 in favour of Henry Sudo. What way you got this one, Si? To Matt Carr, 55-45, Sandu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm, going, I'm going for Cejudo. Um, I, think, I think he has... I think he's the stronger man at the weight. I think he's he's a bit more he's a bit more uh seasoned when it comes to uh being able to fight on the ground and standing up. Um but it's interesting Cejudo has no finishes in his UFC career which for a guy who you know he has got decent hands he you know he has got pretty heavy hands for a flyweight he hasn't actually finished anybody they've all been decisions. So I think if he can get a finish, that would be a real statement for him and would really push him. Sergio Pettis has been stopped before by TKO. Um, he, he lost to Ryan Benoit back at UFC 185, but he's, he's won three straight since then. They were all by decisions as well. You look at you look at him in the UFC, he hasn't won a fight by stoppage either. And I guess this is why some people point at the flyweights and say, you know, we need a bit more, a bit more excitement, you know, because a lot of these fights do go the distance. I think in a fight that is likely to go the distance, I think Sohudo will have the advantage because he can mix things up with the takedowns, and I think that will be the deciding factor. I think he gets the win. 
he'll either TKO him on the floor and get, and get his first stoppage, or more likely he'll grind it out. Uh, embrace the grind, as, uh, as, uh, as, 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 as Mike Goldberg would say, and, and get the win via decision. So, But that's the first fight to kick off the main card, and uh, we'll, we'll do a lot to help position the winner as a potential title contender. The next fight is one of my favourite fights on the card. Um, one of my favourite fights of the year so far. And a fight that I just, I don't even know where to begin. Frankie Edgar, Yair Rodriguez, over to you, Sandy. What a fight this is. Well, first of all, in Frankie Edgar, you've got one of the greatest mixed martial arts fighters of all time, period, in my opinion. Totally agree with you. And in Yair Rodriguez, you've got arguably one of the most exciting talents we've ever seen enter the sport. Um, this is amazing matchmaking. This is also the first fight on Frank Edgar's new contract. He signed a new long-term contract with the promotion recently. And this might potentially... If Frank Edgar doesn't win on Saturday night, I've got a feeling this might be the last time we've seen fight at featherweight for, for at least the foreseeable future. What Frankie Edgar's been through over the last year is he he had that shot for the interim featherweight championship against Jose Aldo at UFC 200. It didn't go his way, and that was a second loss to Jose Aldo. He did bounce back, though, in New York against Jeremy Stevens. If he can put Yair Rodriguez away, you could potentially put him into a situation where he could you know, fight for a championship if Max Holloway wins. I don't think he's going to get a third crack at Jose Aldo. No. I think no. I think he's going to need a few things to go his way. But before we even talk about potential title shots and things like that, he has his hands full with Yair Rodriguez. And, you know, I saw some stuff on social media with Rodriguez, you know, all suited and booted, hanging out with the, the president, Dana White, at the big uh, boxing event this past uh, weekend in Las Vegas. And um, that was Canelo and Chavez Jr. And um, and he says that he can, you know, in his, in his opinion, he could be a bigger star than Canelo in Mexico. And, you know, Mexico is a big market for the UFC. If he can, again, again, put, putting it on, on, on Rodriguez, if Rodriguez can put away Frankie Edgar, I think he'll catapult himself right into title contention and with him it doesn't matter who wins between max holloway or jose aldo you put him straight in he's on this fantastic win streak he's got all the flair and the uh the talent and i think you know it's not too it's not too soon i remember john jones people thought oh this is maybe a little bit too soon look at him you know i like sometimes just sometimes when Fighters are starting their career a little bit early. They're on this streak. I say you put them in and see if they can beat the world champion. Because even, even if they can't, they've just got learning experience. They can rebuild and they've got time to rebuild. So this is this is a massive fight for both Frankie and for Yair. And if I'm going to lean towards anyone, I can't go against Yair right now. He His, his kicking skills, his acrobatics, his... His athleticism in there, I think he's just going to be, a, considering how great Frankie Edgar is in terms of his speed, I think Rodriguez is going to just be a little bit too fast for him. And with Frankie, he's great in the pocket 
I think Yair is going to dance around him, and I don't think Frank is going to get close enough to even land. Yeah, I, I'm. I find this just fascinating. There are so many questions that are going to get answered in this in this fight. First off, is is Frankie Edgar still sort of properly best of the best elite level at 145 pounds? Um, is Yair Rodriguez the real deal? You know, you look at the people he's beaten, they're decent opponents, but no one remotely at the level of Frankie Edgar. This is a big, big jump for him. Um, and there are question marks, and I, I, I still have question marks over him, rightly or wrongly. Um, in the lead-up to the BJ Penn fight, some of the things that he said in in the lead-up to the fight have, have been a little worried, I've got to be honest with you. Um, talking about moving his training camp around and... Even then, he was talking about the camp that he was with. Then, I think I think he was training with Jacksons for that one. There was no. He basically couldn't even guarantee that he'd be with them for the next fight, and he just. I don't know. There's just something that doesn't quite sit right with me with Yair Rodriguez just yet. He said it seems there seems to be a little bit of immaturity there in terms of how he how he's handling his career. Um, now, in terms of being bigger than Canelo, that's one example of it. Not a chance, right? If, you know, the UFC would have to be the biggest sport in Mexico for him to be bigger than Canelo Alvarez. And the UFC is not bigger than boxing in Mexico. You know, boxing and professional football are absolutely top of the tree over there. And, uh, yeah, the UFC is, is, is looking to build, and he's the star that they can really use to help build over there. But bigger than Canelo, that's 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 overreaching for me because uh, Canelo is a superstar. Um, now, as for the fight, I think I think Frankie Edgar is going to test him in ways that he's never been tested before. You look at all these guys he's fought. Edgar is going to give him the sort of movement. He's going to be darting in and out, scoring, getting out of range, mixing it up with his wrestling. Expect Edgar to use his wrestling uh, extensively in this fight. I think that's going to that's going to be a real defining factor. If Rodriguez can stop Edgar from taking him to the mat, then we've got ourselves a contest. If he can't, Edgar steamrolls him. I really do believe that. Um, I'm going with Edgar. Um, I still think he has it, um, and I would love to see Frankie Edgar versus Max Holloway. Um, and I think that's a fight that we might well see a bit later this year because I have a sneaking suspicion Holloway might beat Jose Aldo. So um, if Yaya Rodriguez beats Max Holloway, then all bets are off. He is the real deal. And I agree with you. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Frankie move back up to 155 um, at that point because there really aren't any major big fights for him at featherweight. He's fought pretty much everybody at that point. So um, huge, huge fight. I'm going to go with a veteran. I'm going to go with Frankie Edgar. But uh, I'm going to be watching Yaya Rodriguez very closely because he could be the next big thing in the UFC. One more win, and I think he's pretty much there. Now, talking about the next big thing, who's going to be the next big thing in the welterweight division? Who's going to be the number one contender at 170 pounds? The man who currently sits in that position is in action on Saturday night, but he's not fighting for the title. Damian Meyer, one of the most respected, one of the most respectable, and one of the classiest guys uh, you'll ever meet in the UFC. He's back in action again. And he's taking on uh, Jorge Masvidal in a fascinating clash of styles. Masvidal is just as seasoned as they come. 
he seems to have hit a real high spot in his career. And this is a fascinating, fascinating contest because this is a fight that Meyer is taking basically because the welterweight division, they don't know what they're going to do with it at this point, like many other divisions, so it seems. So he's he's not waiting around. He's going to ta- he's taking the Masvidal fight. As for Masvidal, he's got the opportunity to completely gate crash the championship picture at 170. Where do you see this one going, Sandy? Because I see this, I see this as a coin flip. You've got this, you've got this specialist, this guy who, if he gets his hands on you and you takes you to the mat, the fight is over. The fight is pretty much over. I think the only guy who was able to sort of keep him off in, in recent fights was was Gunnar Nelson. Um, and Gunnar Nelson's one of the best grapplers in the division as well. Masvidal has got excellent grappling. Whether he's got enough to beat Maya on the mat, I don't know. But Masvidal is good, good, good in the stand-up. He's excellent in the stand-up. One of the slickest strikers at 170. So where where is your hard-earning, hard-earned money going on this one, Sandy? I think we've got a bit of a theme running here, Simon, today because this is yet another... Very, very tough fight to call. It really, really is. The last time Masvidal lost by decision was at Bellator 5 <laughs> back in back in May of 2009. Now, he's lost plenty of fights since then, but they've all been by uh, decision, uh, and most recently quite a few split decisions. But, you know, since he's kind of like settled in, to you know the welterweight you know weight class, you know he's he's on some form. He's beat you know okay Ross Pearson wasn't at one seventy at the one fifty five, um, but you know the the, the TKO win against Jake Ellenberger and Donald Cerrone. Actually, I want to run it back a little bit. Did Ross Pearson fight him at one seventy or one fifty five? Sorry, Ross Pearson fought him at one seventy. I think. Bear with me. Was a there second. a catch? Bear with me a second. Where was this? Sorry, when was this? This is UFC 201. That would have been. Do you know I'm what? At, I, I, I can get it right now. I think. I think it was a. I think it was a 170. It was. I think it was which a 170. Kind of, that one threw me off because it Ross was a Pearson, short notice fight. I think. I think Pearson stepped in short notice for that fight. There you go. That's what it is. Okay. Cool. So look, he's got three fights at 170 on a win streak. On a win streak, which is good for him. But Damian Meyer, my God, this guy. <laughs> He just doesn't seem to lose at the moment, you know, and he's been wrapping everybody up like a Christmas present and he's been getting it done with relative ease. You know, I mean, if you look at his record, Carlos Condit, Matt Brown, Gunnar Nelson, Neil Magny, who was streaking at the time. It's it's unbelievable. And I think, you know, he was he was there once before. He had a crack at the middleweight championship when he fought Anton Silva. That was a debacle of a fight in itself. And ever since, he's been having to you know, claw, itch, scratch his way back. He reinvented himself in the welterweight division and he's, you know, got a few performance of the night bonuses along the way and he's got himself into a great situation here. Now, many may argue that he should already be fighting for a title and, um, you know, this this fight with uh, Masvidal shouldn't even be taking place. Now, with that being said, just last week, Tyron Woodley did post on social media that champ camp has started. So I'm curious to know and find out whether the UFC are actually waiting for this fight to pass and essentially grant the winner of this fight the next title shot against Tyron Woodley or whether they've already got somebody else in you know in mind or in play 
uh, forwardly, and uh, and the winner of this fight is just going to have to wait. What I do want to see is whoever wins this fight, get on that microphone, call out Woodley, cut a promo, and solidify your position um, to the masses as the rightful person who should be fighting for the welterweight championship next. Now, with that all being said, which way am I going? Shock horror, it's not a 55-45, Simon. You don't tell me. And I don't know what it is. I'm going a little bit against form versus form here. Although Maya has got more wins versus more, I suppose, game opponents and more recognized opponents, more higher ranked opponents... There's something about Masvidal's swagger, something about his energy, something about the way he's carrying himself, which just makes me feel as though he's going to get the job done. As long as he can avoid the takedown and avoid some of the scrambles, keep it on his feet, I don't think it will take too long for him to let go of his hands and get the job done. That's the way I, I think it will be early. I think it will be round one or round two. And I do see Masvidal getting a finish via TKO against Damian Meyer. I'm I love this show. I love I love doing this show. <laughs> but I love this show in particular because so often when we do this, we end up doing these doing these previews and we talk about a fight and I'll say something and you'll say, Yeah, I agree with you there, Sai. And you'll say something and I'll say, Yeah, I agree with you there, Sandy. I completely disagree with you again. This is good. We've got a difference of opinion. We need to write these things down after the uh, after the show and keep score during fight night. And I'll be I'll be hammering you on WhatsApp whenever my picks <laughs> whenever my picks beat yours because I'm going for Damian Meyer. This is a guy who he's at the absolute zenith of his powers right now. His 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 uh, his list of victims is as good as anything in that 170 pound division. Tyron Woodley's CV doesn't stack up to this. Stephen Wonderboy Thompson's CV doesn't stack up to this. Robbie Lawler's CV, arguably, doesn't stack up to this. So, Damian Meyer has been in there. Do you know he hasn't been finished in eight years? Unbelievable. Eight years, and he's, he's fighting in an absolute shark tank of a division. And he's not duck fights. He's been in there with pretty much everybody. And, you know, he's either... He's either lost out on the cards or he's beaten them. Um, and um, I, I'm, I think this is the time for Damian Meyer to, abs- to sort of break out of the nice guy persona because he is a genuinely nice guy. But he's also a journalist. He's a trained journalist, Damian Meyer. And I think he will have seen what's been going on. He needs to win this fight. He needs to win it decisively. And I think he will. I think he'll win by submission. And then he needs to get on the microphone and say, enough's enough now. No more running, Tyron. There's no one else in a better position to take you on than me. You've started your fight camp. I'm ready for you, sunshine. International fight week. Let's do this. And just get the fight booked. Because international fight week needs another big fight. Tyron Woodley's in training camp. If he's doing a longish training camp, it kind of fits. Either just before or during international fight week. Um, now's the time. Now is the time. And I think this is the time where Damien Meyer really, really does make a statement. He's got the trickiest, most difficult seasoned opponent to come up against because you, you, you really could make a strong case for this going the other way, and as you just have. But 
But uh, and it would almost be a travesty if he lost at this point because he's earned his shot. He shouldn't have to earn it again. It's like uh, for any English or, or well any soccer fans listening, the nineteen sixty six World Cup final, the only World Cup that England never won. England were winning, uh, and they let in a goal in the last minute, and it went to extra time. And England's manager Sir Ralph Ramsey sat his players down; they were knackered, and he said, "You've won it once. Go out and win it again." And that's exactly what Carlos Condit's got to do. He's earned his title shot. He's just got to go out and earn it again. And if he does it, then there really is no denying it. And if he does it with style points and gets a finish, then you know the calls for him to get a title shot will be absolutely deafening. And they'll have to give him a shot. That is a cracking fight at 170. Um, and uh, that could main event a Fox card. It could main event a Fight Night card anywhere. It's the third fight from the top of this stellar UFC 211 card we are into the co-main event and there's gold being banded around because it's world title fights from here on in the women's strawweight belt is on the line Joanna and Jacek, Jessica Andrade uh, Joanna loves nothing better than to stand and throw Jessica Andrade loves nothing better than to stand and throw, this is going to be fireworks Sandu can Joanna who is probably a more technical striker deal with just the sheer uh, forward pressure and, and heavy hands of Andrade, who is not as, not as slick, throws a lot of winging hooks and is likely to get caught down the middle. But when she lands, people know about it. Uh, and Njacek got, got wobbled a little bit by Carolina in her last fight. Um, can Andrade do, go one step better and, and, and finish her and, and become the world champion? I say this with all the respect in the world for Jessica Andrade. She's a strong, short, stocky, powerful fighter. Like you said, Simon, you know, when she starts to throw some of those haymakers, I think those will cause problems for for any uh, fighter, especially in that kind of lower weight class. But in Joanna Jacek, and, you know, we've been covering her since her kind of rise here in the European scene. In my opinion, she is the second best pound-for-pound pound female fighter in the world. She's a, After Chris Cyborg, look no further than Yara Yan Jacek as the best female pound-for-pound pound fighter in the world. Bottom line. Um, she's undefeated. She has not even come close to really being threatened in the UFC. I mean, I remember when she fought um, Claudia Gidella the second time. And everyone thought, you know, Claudia Gidella was going to really give us some problems. And I remember the first Claudia Gidella fight, when it was a three-round fight, and I saw Gidella really start to gasp for air, start to gas halfway through the second round. And I, one thing I know for a fact, and that's, Yana and Jay's got a great gas tank. Great gas tank. That's why I personally was never really worried in that Gadella rematch. Even though early on, Gadella caused us some problems, I knew that over the course of 25 minutes, Yona and Jacek had a gas tank, she had the stamina, and she'd pick her off. Now, with that all being said, I think the game plan for Joanna is to do pretty much the same. She's got to look at her fights with Gadella in this fight with Andrade. You've got to weather the early storm, which I'm sure she, her and her team and her coach are going to be working on here. You want to get through those first couple of rounds. You want to let the more muscular fighter in Andrade 
gas out a little bit, get some wear and tear, let the lactic acid build up, and then you're just going to ping, 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 and you're going to start to pick her off, and then maybe even get a late stoppage, maybe in the fourth or fifth round. I think with with Jana Janjacic, you know, she's really kind of hitting the, the 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 stage of her career where she's she's a veteran. She's fought on the big stages. She's defended a championship. She knows what it's like to go through five rounds on on multiple occasions now. This is going to be the first time, if I'm not mistaken, that Jessica Andrade is going to be in a five round fight. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, how she handles herself if she isn't able to get a, an early knockout. And how she handles herself in those championship rounds, and how her body handles the championship rounds. So, I'm going for Polish power, Simon. I'm not going to give you a 55-45 by any means. I'm super confident in Jana Janjacek. And again, I say this with all the respect in the world for Jessica Andraj, but for me, Janjacek is just a cut above the rest when it comes to that division. Yeah, it might not be 55-45 in terms of your 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 split. I wouldn't be surprised if the scorecards read 50-45 at the end of the fight because I, I agree with you. I think um, Ioana is just a class apart. I think the danger comes early on and I think Ioana will know that. She'll be fighting off the back foot, moving around um, and uh, looking to sting sting Jessica as, 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 as she comes in because she's going to have to enter the striking range of Yunjacek and Yunjacek her straight punches. She throws straight punches as well as anybody in the UFC. Um, there's very little, uh, there's very little wasted movement with the way she throws her shots. Very economical, and she loads up well. Um, and um, she does something that the Diaz brothers do quite well, particularly Nick Diaz. Not all of Yuana's um, uh, punches are full, are full tilt punches. They're thrown stiffly, but some of them are a lot stronger than others and you can see when she fights when she really loads up on her shots and I think being able to mix and match in terms of mixing up the power just scoring just pop pop popping away um, I think that will be uh, important for her because she knows how to pace herself over a five round fight Claudia Godella gave her everything she could handle in the first two rounds of that fight and she won it down the stretch in the end uh, did, did, did Joanna so I think the blueprint here Go back and watch the Angela Hill fight because Angela Hill fought Jessica Andrade and did pretty well, I thought. I thought she, she, she really did show, show an awful lot of holes in uh, Andrade's game, most notably her susceptibility to straight shots and counter punches because Hill countered and landed very well with straight shots throughout the fight. Angela doesn't seem to have that vicious viciousness to her strikes that, that, that Joanna has. And uh, yeah, I can see nothing, nothing other than uh, Yuani and Jacek retaining that UFC Women's Strawweight title. And the question after that is, where does she go from there? Because she's getting close to cleaning the division out. So it's going to be interesting to see what she does next. Um, there has been talk of a 125-pound division. Uh, there was indeed a press release about the launch of a 125-pound division and an ultimate fighter season that was going to actually crown a new champion, much as it did with the strawweight division. Everybody was excited about that. Everybody, even you would have watched that season of Tough Sandu. And then they pulled, they, they, they sort of we sort of retracted it and said, it, you know, it was premature. That doesn't mean it won't happen. And fingers crossed it will happen. But um, yeah, what it does mean is that they are at least thinking behind the scenes about bringing a 125-pound division into the UFC. And that can only be a good thing. And if they do... 
you can bet your bottom dollar that Uranian Jacek is going to be gunning for that that belt as well. So, um, yeah. But first, she's got to deal with Jessica Andrade. You think she will. I think she will. And uh, we'll see how that goes on fight night. Now, let's talk about this main event, Sandy. I am absolute... I, I, you know, we watch a lot of fights. We watch a lot of fights. I watch a fair amount of boxing matches as well. Um, so over the course of a year, you know, we rack up the fights in terms of, in terms of the amount of different contests and matchups we see. And when you look, when you look back at the end of the year and you pick out the ones that stand out to you, the ones that, that really did resonate with you, I think this is going to be one of those fights because Stipe Miocic and Junior Dos Santos turned in an absolute slobber knocker of a fight when they fought last time. It was a fantastic fight. Uh, it went all five rounds. It was fight of the night down there in Phoenix, Arizona. And Junior Dos Santos got the unanimous decision victory. Stipe has kicked on from then and has become the world heavyweight champion. Uh, Junior seems to have reinvented his game as well. Uh, and the last time we saw him uh, was in Zagreb, Croatia. Um, and uh, I was there for that fight. And he looked like a million dollars against Ben Rothwell. His boxing looked phenomenal. That was the best, the best Junior Dos Santos I've ever seen. And now, here we go, over a year on, um, he's now jumping in there with Stipe. The belt's on the line. Champion versus former champion. This one really is tougher to pick than a broken nose. Where Where is your money going, Mr. Sandu? Because you can make a case for either man, really. It's, this is, forget 50-45, this is, this is 51-49, surely. Yeah, you talk about being tougher to pick than a broken nose. I think we might see a few broken noses in this one. Because the last time these two went in it, you're right, they went hell for leather for 25 minutes. I like the fact that Dos Santos has actually had about a year off. Now, I know that it wasn't intentional. I know that he had, I think, it was a shoulder injury or, or something. Um, but just considering some of the wars that he's been in over the last two, three years, I don't think it would have been the worst thing in the world for his brain and his skull and everything just to kind of relax and heal and just 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 chill out for a bit before you get back into thicker things. It's 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 just hard. I mean, I don't know. Miocic was you know arguably you know definitely one of the fighters of 2016. Some people actually had him as uh, as their fire of the year last year. He's coming off four straight finishes, which is a feat in itself in the heavyweight division. He's on course to try and do what no other heavyweight has done. This will be his second UFC heavyweight defense. If he beats Dos Santos, he would have tied the record of the most successful UFC heavyweight title defenses period ever. That just shows, yeah, that just shows what a hot potato that heavyweight championship has been throughout the course of its title history. I'm leaning very, very slightly again, uh, probably even more slightly than I have been throughout the rest of this fight card. I think you're bang on the money, mate. 51-49 for Miocic. There's something about him where he's just, actually, to be fair, they both are, where they're jovial, they're happy, they seem calm and down to earth. I think Dos Santos may have a little bit more to try and prove here because 
you know, he's had a couple of extra shots at the at the championship, you know, and, and you know, Miocic got it done at the first time of asking. Dos Santos was a champion, lost it, and back and forth, back and forth. I think that Miocic, having lost the first fight to Dos Santos, will be the thing that lights the fire under him more than anything else. Yes, he's defending his championship. Yes, he's headlining this card. And to be fair, when I interviewed him, you know, a while back when he was making a little European trip, he was in, he did a pit stop in London. I asked him if he was uh, interested in defending his title once again in Cleveland, and he was like, "Hell no!" That was the <laughs> furthest thing from his mind. He felt so. Uh, and again, Simon, this goes back to what we spoke about earlier on the show about fighters who want to fight in their hometown, but when it comes down to it, sometimes the moment gets the best of them. And he said that he was absolutely petrified and, and he had all the nerves in the world when he was fighting in Cleveland, Ohio last year. And he doesn't want to do that again so so quickly. So I think, you know, fighting in Dallas, it's away from home. Uh, it'll be just a regular fight night for him, uh, aside from the fact that he's obviously fighting one of the most deadly strikers in the world in Junior Santos. But um, I, I, I just I, there's something about Miocic and his run at the moment. I think he's just got something going in his favour. And listen... When you look at his four-fight win streak, it's Mark Hunt, Andrei Arlovsky, Fabrizio Verdum, and Alistair Overeem. It's not bad, is it? That, that's a murderer's row of some of the best UFC heavyweights ever, period, in history. So, Miocic gets a tip of the hat from me, Simon. Yeah, it's such a close fight. It's such a close fight. And you're dead right. These are two of the nicest guys you could meet outside the cage as well. Um we had the chance. I had the chance to talk to him, uh, to a junior in in, in Zagreb, um, and uh, told me a great story. He learnt his English by watching Family Guy and The Simpsons, and uh, from listening to Frank Sinatra records, because it, it, it's it's brilliant. I just wish he'd learnt it from watching South Park. Could you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine? But no, it's absolutely absolutely lovely bloke and Stipe. Uh, met him in in uh, in New York. Had uh, went to like a media dinner with him, and uh, that was that was great. We really got to know Stepe over the course of like an hour, hour and a half. Um, absolutely top bloke. Um, as for the fight, I'm siding with JDS. I'm siding with JDS, and this is not me deliberately being contrary because you pick pick Stepe. I said last year, uh, probably on on the MMA Roadshow. I said Stipe Miocic was the best heavyweight in the world. And at the time, I believed it. I just think that JDS has the game to beat Stipe. Um, you look at JDS. Cain Velasquez was uh, Junior's kryptonite. Every, there's always one guy who's got your number. And Cain Velasquez had Junior Dos Santos's number. No question about it. But beyond that, Overeem caught him. Um... And that's the only time we've seen him. We've seen him in serious trouble for quite some time. Um, I just think that I just think that Junior is in is in the right place at the right time. I think he might recently have become a dad as well. I have to check that, but I'm pretty sure he's just recently become a dad. Um, and if he has, then that tips the scales in his in his favour even more for me because uh, I used to work in betting years ago, and we discovered a phenomenon called the nappy factor. I don't know if I've ever spoken to you about this. The nappy factor, and we brought up loads of examples um, of where sportsmen hit 
previously unachievable heights in their career immediately after the birth of their their first kid and it just did something and i don't know what it is i don't know if it's like a hormonal thing an adrenaline thing whatever it was it just made them feel indestructible and it was across a whole load of different sports it was it was a remarkable thing um maybe we'll get a bit of this you'll probably find out junior hasn't been a dad at all and he'll lose by knockout but but um but yeah, I, I just have a feeling he's going to do it. I think Stipe can be hurt in fights. We've seen him hurt in fights, and he's gone through. Alistair Overeem should be the heavyweight world champion right now, in my opinion. Because Alistair had him dropped, and he went for a guillotine submission. And that was the worst possible thing he could have done. If he'd have carried on raining punches down, I think he'd have stopped him. Um, but he didn't. He went for his guillotine, uh, which is one of his best submission moves. But Stipe, it gave Stipe time to recover. Stipe recovered, and Stipe knocked out Overeem. So, arguably, Overeem should be champ right now, but for one decision. Um, Junior Dos Santos is probably the hardest hitter in the heavyweight division, not named Mark Hunt. Uh, so, I think I think he can stand there. He can take a licking and keep on ticking. He'll stand in front of Miocic. I think this could go away into the fight. I have a feeling JDS might catch him. So, I'm going to go with JDS to win by knockout. Um... It's such a tough one, though. It's such a tough one. So, if anything, we've just made our preview show very easy for our listeners to uh, put their money down on the on the fighters and make their own picks and predictions. You and me couldn't be uh, further from being on the other side of the fence for the majority of these fights. We should try and put some sort of like graphic together. We'll put it on the blog. We'll do, we'll, we'll, we'll do it on the blog. We've got this blog that we really haven't posted to that often. So we will, we will, we will put something up. Uh, maybe we should do this for every event, Sandy. What the hell? We might just as well. Yeah, um, put something on the blog and just put a little graphic or an image so we can just put it on social media. Yeah, yeah. With our picks and predictions for the main card or something. Let's see. Let's see what we could do. But yeah, and also let's let's see your predictions. So many good fights, so many tough ones to pick. Tweet us your main card picks. That's probably the easy way of doing it. Just tweet us your main card picks to to the Brit Pack MMA on Twitter and uh, let's see let's see who does the best and you never know if uh, if someone comes out on top and manages to beat beat both of us on the Britpack team then uh, maybe we'll give you a shout out on next week's show so tweet at the Britpack MMA give us your is it five fights five fight main card five fight main card uh, just give us the surnames all the people you expect to win um, and uh, we'll see how we do on fight night on Saturday night it's going to be one hell of a fight uh, in the main event. And then you look all the way down the card. They're just, there's so much good stuff to look forward to. Very little opportunity for a pee break. Uh, so, uh, yeah, don't overload on the liquids too early in the evening, I would, you know, I would say, because you'll end up missing something. Great stuff. Great card. Looking forward to Saturday night. But before we leave you this week uh, on episode 38 of the Brit Pack, we have some business to take care of. We've got some questions to answer, Sandy. We certainly do. We're going to get right into it. Chuck Liddell, Simon. Chuck Liddell sent us a question. No, he did But he is the topic of our very first question, which Adam Labar says, Chuck Liddell coming out of retirement for, quote unquote, the right fight. Does this happen? And if so, does it headline a better taught MMA event? So for those of you who follow Chuck Liddell on social media, you would have noticed uh, a recent pic of him in his old, you know, Iceman shorts and 
my God, for his age, he is certainly looking the business, number one. Number two, he's not currently employed by the UFC anymore. They've, like, you know, when WMEIMG kind of took over, they made a lot of cuts to the, the roster, the backroom staff, and one of the cuts was uh, Chuck Liddell, which, to be fair, I think he'd be the, one of the first to admit he wasn't really doing too much to earn that monthly paycheck anyway, to be fair. Not like... Not like Forrest Griffin, who's doing his rounds, and he's always been on the European circuit trying to help him promote the sport, and they've got him doing some bits and pieces for Fight Pass. I think that was a a friendly favour from his old manager, lifelong friend, and UFC president, Dana White, just getting him on the books as, a, as some sort of pension plan for his uh, post-fight career. Now, that's gone. Now, I don't know what his financial situation is like. I don't know if now that that contract has been terminated, he's free to fight wherever he wants to i have absolutely no idea do i want to see him fight i think that's the regardless of where he fights where he might fight whether it's in the ufc or against bellator uh, in bellator and whoever the opponent would be do we want to see chuck liddell fight now for me simon the majority of me <laughs> of everything that i <laughs> that i am as a fan of this sport no where this is going by the way says no I don't want to see him fight. We saw how he kind of exited the sport and it wasn't in uh, highlight real fashion in his favor. It was actually the opposite way. There's a deep, dark, dirty pit of my stomach that for some reason wants to see him make that war one more time. And it can be against... Um, you know, it, you can give him some kind of favourable and friendly matchmaking, whether it's a, a, a an ageing off his off TRTV to a Belfort. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you can just bring back TRTs one more time, so you can just finish him, and he can ride off into the sunset with a win. I'm not sure. I'm just being honest with my feelings. I don't want to see him fight. The purest in me, the journalist in me, uh, the guy that cares about this sport so much, and the human and the being world, in you. The human being, though, though, I care for Chuck's well-being, and I don't want to, you know, see him, you know, suffer any more knockouts or concussions or punishment. Uh, and I and I genuinely mean that. But just, to, you know, maybe it's because we've seen so many fighters in this Reebok gear, and to see someone who was so iconic, Simon, someone who had no restrictions with Reebok, um, you know, outfit, uh, you know, policy and all this, you know, business, and was really able to make himself an icon of the sport, not only with his fighting style, but with his attire and his demeanor and his personality, his mohawk, when the whole, the whole package, it, I, I, there's, there's, a, there's a small, small part of me that would just love to see him make that walk in his, in that kind of old school fashion one more time to almost show the new generation of fires that although sometimes you have these restrictions put on you, there are things that you can do to kind of, I suppose, um, you know, get yourself out there, you know, in a way um, that might be with your fighting style. It might be with the way you carry yourself. I don't know. It's a throwback. It's, it's, it's just kind of pulls on the old heartstrings. Yeah. I, this is obviously an audio podcast, but we're actually recording this. We can see each other on Skype. So while Sandy was saying all that, I was pulling all sorts of faces at him. Um, but I can't be honest with you. I, I, I understand exactly where you're coming from. Uh, the human being in me, and if if I was in charge, if I was placed in a position of responsibility 
for 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 Chuck Liddell and whether he fought or not. There is no way in God's green earth I would I would put him back in the cage. No way, because look what happened the last three times he fought: knockout, knockout, yeah. knockout, and they seem they got increasingly increasingly worse as they went. You know, um, and that's not that's not that's not a good look, right? That's just not a good look. It's not good for him. Now. As someone who doesn't have to make that decision, <laughs> as someone who, as a journalist, has to be able to view both sides of an argument, um, my opinion, my let me, okay, let me do this. My opinion: Should he fight? Absolutely not. No way. No shape or form should he be stepping in the cage again. Okay, he's been knocked out brutally three times in a row for his own safety. No, that's my opinion. Now. Remove my opinion from the discussion for a second and look at it from both sides. Could you sell a Chuck Liddell fight with Vanderlei Silva? Hell yeah. Could you sell a Chuck Liddell fight with Ken Shamrock? Hell yeah. Could you sell a Chuck Liddell fight with Tito Ortiz? If ever there was a fight you could get Tito out of retirement for, Chuck Liddell would be the fight, I would imagine. You forgot um, one, Simon. Sorry. Can you sell? Can you sell a fight with Chael Sonnen? Yeah, you could. Yeah, you could. Um, and and that's the thing. They they're the sort of fights that you're really looking at. Now, if they put the fight on TV and graced us with the ability to watch it in the UK, would I would I watch it? Damn right, I'd watch it. I'd be absolutely glued to it. I'd also be slightly disgusted in myself for, you know, for, <laughs> I think we all would say sort of enabling this, you know, by, by almost, um, almost sort of, uh, approving it by, by partaking in the, the watching of it. But, you know, there's just something sort of primal about watching fight sports sometimes. And these are heroes of ours that we watched as we were cutting our teeth, watching, watching the sport, learning about yeah. the sport. You know, one of the first fights I ever saw was a, was a Chuck Tito fight. So, you know, it's if they did Chuck Tito again, it would it would be a poor comparison with what we've seen in the past. But you know, nostalgia is is you know nostalgia sells, retro stuff sells, and that would be a retro fight. And you know, I think the fight has to be even. If both guys are in a, in an even state, then I think it makes it feasible. But if he's in there with anybody who's who's got is is in any kind of career shape. And as you know, has been winning fights consistently, then that fight should definitely never happen. And sanctioning bodies would, you know, really need to look at things like this very closely. So, yeah, Tito maybe Vandalay, yeah, um, Sonnen, yeah, probably. You know, Shamrock at a push, yeah. One of them, I suppose so. But I'd prefer if he didn't for his own well-being. But you know, he's he's he's. He's a big lad. He can look after himself. Um, so, uh, yeah, that's my take on it. It's definitely an interesting time, Simon, with some of the elder statesmen of the sport, that's for sure. Definitely not Vitor, though. Vitor would kill him. Vitor, he, even, even post-TRT Vitor, Vitor is still pretty active as a competitor and he's still he's still dangerous and, you know, he'd, he'd, he'd still take out a lot of people outside the top 10 in the UFC without too much trouble. So, I, wouldn't, I definitely wouldn't put him in there with him. That would be... That would be to to quote 
our friend Luke Thomas, that would be promotional malpractice if they did that. Can you imagine Vitor off the USADA program, first of all? Oh, just don't. Just don't. Let's, <laughs> let's just not even go there. Let's just moving on. Moving on swiftly. Swiftly, then. swiftly, yeah. Marcel Albecker tweets and it says, Is Baby Slice on the Bellator 179 main card? I've read conflicting reports. So according according to the Bellator website, yes. Right. So it's yeah, it's a bit of a weird one. Um I actually haven't had a chance to get this confirmed, but from what I can see, it'll probably be the kind of uh, the featured prelim. It looks like that the main card is going to be a four-fight main card. I just can't... I, I get it. He's got the whole kind of link to his father and everything. But look, Kevin Ferguson Jr., a.k.a. Baby Slice, is 0-1. He had his very first pro fight last November. It didn't go his way. He lost via submission guillotine choke to Edward Colantes in the second round. Now, they've matched him up with Daryl Griffin or DJ Griffin. And he's making his pro MMA debut. I don't think that Bellator are gonna are gonna stick this fight on the main card that's gonna be kind of televised over in Spike, you know, in the primetime slot and then, you know, Channel Five and Spike here in the UK. Cause it's just not gonna be really high level MMA whatsoever. Um, now I could be wrong. They may want to try and build in a baby slice's name up, and they may say, you know what, we'll we'll make it a five fight main card, and we'll we'll stick him on the kind of the the prime time slot of the overall event. I'm not too sure, but um, I'd be surprised if they did that. Um, so what we do know is that this is a very last minute decision. Um, I'm actually going to be interviewing Baby Slice this Thursday, so look out for my interview with him towards the back end of the week on MMA Junkie. And I actually am going to speak to him about when he took this fight, what kind of sh- you know shape he was in. Because for them to announce this fight just literally two weeks before the event is very, very short notice. So I'm kind of curious to find out whether Baby Slice was in camp or whether he was just literally called you know, at the 11th hour by Bellator to say, hey, look, your dad was supposed to main event the London show last year. Uh, would love to have you, you know, play some part of this card as an homage to him and that's the reason he took it these are all the questions that are unanswered at the moment and I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of asking him when I see him on Thursday but um, what are your thoughts Simon just on the fact that you know they did announce this fight um, on very short notice and he's going to be a part of this event in a few weeks yeah I'm not too sure I mean it's it's interesting that I, I actually think he will be on the main card because that would be a very strange fight to headline the prelims with as well I think and also, of course, this isn't on pay-per-view in the States. This is, this is going to be televised on Spike on a tape delay in the States. So, yeah. um, so I think I, I, I tend to think that they will put it on the main card. Um, okay. Because he's Kimbo Slice's son, uh, the prelims aren't going to be televised. Um, so it makes sense to put him on the TV. They can tell the Kimbo story. They can... Almost by way of a tribute to Kimbo, they can you know they can do that on as part of the broadcast. So, I, I suspect he will be on the main card. I suspect he will be the first man up, um, and then after that, you've obviously got the four, the four more seasoned matchups there. You have got Czech Congo against it's Augusto Sakai, uh, Liam McGeary, Linton Vassell at light heavy, Derek Anderson, Michael Page at lightweight. Sorry, welterweight rather. 
And uh, Paul Daly versus Rory McDonald in the main event. Yeah, I, I think that will be on the main card, just because I think they'll put it on the TV. Um, as for why they brought it in at short notice, I have no idea. Bobby Lashley was supposed to be on this card, but he isn't. Um, so I don't know whether that might have had anything to do with it, whereby they looked to draft in Baby Slice. Well, we we got told a while back that Baby Slice was going to be on this card, didn't we? When 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 they came over to London, Scott Coker told us this uh, during yeah. the media scrum that he was that, that he was going to be on the card. It just wasn't confirmed. So if if uh, Kevin Ferguson Jr. knew back then, then it's not really short notice to him. It's whether it's whether DJ Griffin has had any notice at all to prepare. Um, but given that Coca told us in London, uh, when was that? Early Feb, wasn't it? It was like the first week of Feb, I think. Um, that 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 Kimbo, Kimbo's son was going to be on the card. Then you would think that he he's been he's been prepping for the fight since then. So, um, you know, I think he's probably had a decent enough run up. Whether DJ Griffin has or not, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, well, I guess we're going to find out sooner rather than later where his placement on the card is going to be. Um, you may well be right, Simon. He may be on the main card. I look back to his pr- promotional debut, and they stuck him as the featured prelim. Right. That's why. That's why it makes me think that they'll probably put him back in that slot again. Yeah. But that was a five-fight main card. This is currently a four-fight main card, so they may bump him up, and it might be a five-fight main card. We'll, we'll find out though yeah. in uh, in the coming days. Um, right. So Stuart Tuckwell says after an unfortunate outcome. At the weekend's Cage Warriors, will we now see Long versus Amusu tile fight? And if so, does the winner end up in the UFC? And I'm going to double that up by another tweet that comes in from Cage Warriors play-by-play commentator Bradley Wharton, who says, how long before Lou gets a UFC call-up? So I didn't watch the Cage Warriors event. On, on the weekend, Simon. I know you did. However, I did see Lou Long's spear, um, which uh, caused the injury to Che Mills and uh, got him a TKO victory. Um, from the outside looking in, I haven't followed him too closely, but he's on a decent win streak right now. He's another Welsh fighter, which I'm sure the UFC would be you know, happy to kind of utilize, um, especially when they've got so many UK cards um, year on year now, it seems like. Um, but you know, when, when it comes to somebody I do know very well, that's Carla Musu, he should have been in the UFC a long, long, long time ago. So, you know, if Lu Long's got to get through a Musu to a win the championship and then b get into the UFC, he would have definitely earned it the hard way. But, um, but first of all, si, I mean, why don't you kind of give our listeners and myself a little bit of a break, you know, a bit of a breakdown, you know, some feedback, real review of the Cage Warriors event this past Saturday night. And then your thoughts on Lu Long and his future. Yeah, Cage Warriors 83 it was. Uh, it was live on Fight Pass. You can watch all the Cage Warriors events live on Fight Pass these days. And it's also, and it's on BT Sport as well. So uh, the main card uh, was on Fight Pass and BT Sport 2 in the UK. Uh, it was in Newport, Wales. And Wales is becoming a little bit of a hotbed of the sport. You know, there's, there's some real, uh, pros- real strong prospects coming out of Wales now. Obviously, we know Brett Johns is in the UFC, former Cage Warriors bantamweight champion. We know that Jack Marshman is in the UFC, former Cage Warriors middleweight champion. And we also know that John Phillips, who is also a former champion, is now in the UFC. So we've got three Welshmen in the UFC. Um, and this is really the next generation coming up. With the, 
We've got Jack Shaw look really good in his first in, 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 in the first fight on the main card. Beat a Frenchman called Commande. Uh just took him down and just wouldn't let him up. It was it was it was very impressive, really strong uh wrestling and then you know going to his going to his submissions and beating him with a belly down armbar. Really impressive stuff. Um Italian Giovanni Melillo, I'd never heard of him going into this fight. Took on Mosin Bahari, who I have heard of. Bahari fought Carl Pendred for the Cage Warriors welterweight title uh, a couple of years back, three years back maybe. Um, Norwegian, very seasoned, was expected to win this fight by many. And uh, Melillo knocked him out in a round very, very impressively. He looks like one to watch, the Italian. Keep an eye out for him. Uh, another Welsh guy to keep an eye out is Josh Reed, the crazy horse, uh, bantamweight. Defeated Gavin Kelly. Uh, I was expecting that fight to go some, uh, go, go, you know, go a fair distance because uh, Kelly's a decent fighter as well. Uh, but Reed just absolutely went crazy on him and, and knocked him out with a, a huge flurry of, of punches against the fence in the first round. The the then we had the true Viking Soren Buck. If you get a chance to watch it on Fight Pass, uh, this guy is a bit of a character. He came out looking like an extra from the Game of Thrones. He had a great big axe. I don't know how he got past security with his axe. But he had this whacking great axe. He had the fur over the shoulders. His cornermen were dressed the same. He was big old beard on the go, roaring at the crowd like a crazy person. And he went in there and uh, won a unanimous decision. Uh, absolutely dominated a veteran by the name of Scott Clist. Um, 30-25, 30-25, 30-24. That's how dominant he was. Uh couldn't finish him though, and I guess that's the next thing. Can he get finishes? And the main event, uh, Lou Long, Lewis the Foot Long, uh, that is his fighting nickname, and it's brilliant. Against former UFC veteran, uh, British welterweight veteran, uh, Chain Mills. And uh, I think the plan for Lou Long was to get a really good performance under his belt, beat Chain Mills, and really make a statement and try and get onto the UFC's Glasgow card. That was that was always the plan for him, I think. Um, and the fight lasted 18 seconds. Lou basically shot him for a takedown, run-of-the-mill takedown, uh, landed the takedown. But I think in the act of levering Mills off the mat, Mills tweaked his knee. Uh, and I think he's done his MCL and his ACL um, all in one injury. So as soon as Mills hit the mat and Lou's on top of him, Mills was tapping furiously, um, and uh, referee Mark Goddard stopped the fight. Now, some people on Twitter were, were confused because it was announced as a TKO, um, and you know because Mills was tapping, they were going, "Well, you know, we'd bet on Lewis Long to win by submission. That surely that's a submission because he was tapping." Well, no, it's not because when there's an injury, if it's if it's due to an injury, it's a TKO. Um, and uh, Mark Goddard was on Twitter explaining that uh, on on uh, on Sunday uh, to a couple of fans who were a bit un- unsure of that. But yeah, Lou Long, he really, you know, it was over before before uh, he could ever get started. Really, it was it was a good event. It was in the Newport Centre. There was a good, healthy crowd in, uh, very vocal crowd. The Welsh fans are brilliant at, when it comes to supporting their, you know, their own in all sports. But yeah, Lewis Long, he's got wins. I think he's eight and one from his last nine. Um, and I think Mills was the, 
Mills was the guy who I think, if he could have got a big win against him, a guy who had fought in the UFC, that would have given him the platform to call for the shot in Glasgow. And you never know, he might have got it. But because of the way the fight went, it's hard to see whether they'll give him that chance now because he hasn't been able to elevate his position from before the fight. So maybe they do the title fight with uh, with Carl Amasu. Um, if Amasu isn't already signed by the UFC, as you say, Sander, he should be in the UFC now. He's mm. he's someone who could slot in and be a very dangerous addition to the 170-pound division. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 feel so, I feel sorry for Chain Mills because he suffered a really bad injury. He's going to be out for a fair while. He's going to need some reconstructive surgery on that, on that, on that right leg. I think it was his right knee um, before he can come back, and he's in the veteran stage of his career anyway. And then you got Lewis Long, who really wanted to make a statement and further his career. And even though he won, it wasn't in a way that is going to enhance his career at all. So it, it's 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 a tough spot. It really is, and. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen for him. You know, if he doesn't get the if he doesn't get the call now, the best thing he can do is try and get a title fight. And if he can beat if he can beat Carl Amasu, then he really is UFC ready. If UFC, if, sorry, if, if if Amasu leaves to join the UFC, then he should be calling for a shot at the vacant belt and should take on someone like Matt Inman, uh, who is who is a seasoned operator who uh, recently challenged Amasu. Oh, sorry, he fought Amasu for the vacant belt. So it's 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 a tough one. It really is. I feel I feel sorry for Mills because of the injury, and I feel sorry for Long because he hasn't been able to further his career. But as an event, mate, brilliant, really good. And they've got an event coming up. I think June the second is the next one in London at the Indigo at the O2, which is where um, if uh, if you remember the Michael Bisping Anderson Silver weigh-ins, yeah, it's there, and they do the cage up on on the stage. They have standing at the front. So it's a bit like being sort of behind the goal in a football match. So you've got all the crowd on the floor standing um, and everyone upstairs is in is in the posh seats. And uh, it's about 1,500 people in there, give or take. And the atmosphere in there was pretty raucous last time. So uh, I'm expecting that to be another good one on June the 2nd. That'll be good fun. Nice one. And you're going to be at Bamba this weekend, aren't you, Si? Yeah, I'm going to be at Bamber. It's been a while since I've been at a Bamber event. And... Uh, I've got myself all, all all booked up to make the trip up to Birmingham. I've been actually one of the first MMA shows I I covered, uh, other sort of outside of London. I think I think it was the first was was Bama Seven, uh, which was in Birmingham, and uh, went and covered that. And um, yeah, like always, always get well looked after by the Bama guys. You know, I I, I enjoy what they put on. Uh, just as I enjoy them and Cage Warriors, they're very different in terms of how they put their shows on, and they look different on the TV. But you know, I while they are competing brands and they're very different, I enjoy both products. To be honest with you, um, Cage Warriors would appear to give a more straightforward route into the UFC, insofar as they're in partnership with the UFC. Well, they're in partnership with UFC Fight Pass at least, and they've got that clearly defined line straight in. And they've got so many fighters that have been through and made it. But Bama have built their reputation as well. And you think people like Mark Diakazi uh, have, have been through the system and are now pulling up trees in the UFC. So um, that's going to be that's going to be a fun a fun night. I think we've got um, I think there's four title fights. It's a four fight main card. 
four title fights. Um, what have we got? What have we got? I'm just trying to find it. Uh, we are at Bama 29, it is. So the, the, the main event is a, a battle for the vacant heavyweight title. Former rugby player, Brett McDermott, who always used to compete as a light heavy. Um, he's now fighting at heavyweight against German Ruben Wolf for the vacant heavyweight uh, for the vacant heavyweight belt. The middleweight fight uh, in the co-main is going to be a cracker. Yannick Bahati versus Matt Hallam. That's a rematch. Uh, and that's going to be for the vacant Bama World Middleweight Championship. Really looking forward to that. There's a little bit of heat behind that rivalry. Um, as I say, they, they fought before. Hallam was doing pretty well in that first fight. Uh, and, then, and then Bahati... Uh, eventually took over and beat him. So, big rematch there. We've got a lightweight title fight uh, for the Lonsdale British lightweight title, Tim Barnett against Mario Said. And then, uh, opening up the main card is the welterweight British title between Terry Brazier and Walter Garhadza, who uh, I've seen fight a couple of times. He's one to watch for sure. Uh, and, of course, they've got an absolutely, absolutely packed undercard as well. That'll be streamed. I think they stream that on Sport Bible. I think. Is Sport Bible? No, Unilad. They stream that on Unilad and they, they have the main card is going to be on Dave. They've got a new TV deal, Sandy. So, uh, they're, and, and they're going to be live on Dave on uh, on Friday night. I think, nine, I'm guessing it'll be about 8 or 9, p, 8 or 9 p.m. Uh, our friend Andy Shepard will be or will be hosting that with David Hay and Paddy Houlihan. So, uh, so yeah, that, that'll be good fun. Looking forward to that. That's good stuff. Simon Head on the regional local circuit here covering local MMA. Love it. The um, the final question comes from Graham Hughes and he says, have the other middleweights got a case when it comes to the title being held up considering the GSP Bisping fight isn't until November? So we've got a bit of an update here for you guys. Earlier this week, GSP, or late last week, GSP, uh, put out a little video on social media essentially saying that he wasn't going to fight Michael Bisping until after October. Now, he's also, last week, spent some time at Madison Square Garden saying how much he'd love to fight an MSG. It sounds like, Simon, and it looks like that the Bisping-GSP fight is going to most probably take place in Madison Square Garden now at that kind of similar you know date and you know, slot that the, uh, the McGregor-Alvarez fight uh, took uh, at the back end of last year. And um, and if that happens, and if that's the case, then this would have been the longest period in the history of the UFC middleweight championship where it hasn't been defended for so long. So it's unfortunate. I get it. I get everyone's concerns. Um, you know, obviously, you know, this being the Brit Pack, you know, we're, I suppose, inadvertently uh, happy uh, for Michael Bisping to get his big payday, to considering how much of the heavy water he's carried, um, not just for the UFC here in the UK, but just promoting the sport in general um, in the UK and being that kind of uh, brand ambassador and that British ambassador, being the first of a British champion. You know, we've said this multiple times on the, on the show, Simon. You know, he deserves to kind of be able to finish his career and, and, be, and be comfortable financially, uh, not only for himself, but for his family as well. And this is his opportunity uh, to get that financial security once and for all. Um, now, the question is in relation to all the other middleweights. And, you know, Anton Silva had a big outburst on Ariel Helwani's MMA Hour show last week. Um, today, he, you know, posted on social media and said that he's going to be out of UFC 212 because the UFC wouldn't agree to him fighting Yol Romero for an interim middleweight championship. 
You've got Yoel Romero, who's obviously just you know, biding his time, waiting to see how things develop um, uh, between you know, Bisping and GSP. Then you've got Gegard Mousasi, who I'm sure we're all pretty confident will re-sign with the UFC, but he's right up there as well. You know, um, you, you could you could make a case for him getting a title shot, but it looks like you know a part of his negotiation is to try and get a main event slot on that Rotterdam card, which I think would make the, all the sense in the world. And then you got Luke Rockhold, who's obviously you know very peeved off himself. So you've got some angry and frustrated 185 pound fighters, Simon, who um, who can't really do much about the situation. Um, they can either fight to stay active, or they can. Uh, sit back and let time pass by, but that can perhaps cause a bit of ring rust. And you know, some of these guys, especially the likes of Yo Romero, they aren't getting any younger. So um, I guess, kind of going back to the question, can you sort of, you know, understand or do, in your opinion, the middleweights have a strong case for being peeved off with this whole situation between GSP and Bisping? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And the issue here is we've got a guy coming back into the UFC. See, Michael Bisping agreed to fight George St. Pierre. That fight was agreed. And then they did a big press conference, didn't they, in, in Vegas, um, and announced the fight. They didn't give it a date. Um, and now the fight has been announced. The goalposts seem to be moving. I think all common, common thinking at the time was that they were going to try and line this fight up for International Fight Week. And then it changed. And it was like, okay, it's likely to be September. Now we're talking November, and I think if the fight's International Fight Week, then I think you're within the bounds of a slightly longer than usual layoff, but you're still pretty much within the time frame. Once you get to September, you're stretching the patience of the other contenders. Once you get to November, you're taking the piss, I think. Um, And I think that's where we're at right now. I think Michael Bisbing is more than capable of defending his title between now and then. And the question is, should he? Um, if you're honestly, honestly, I think Michael Bisbing should be fighting in International Fight Week. And I think, you know, but the uh, the George St. Pierre fight is such a big fight. But who's, who's leading who here? Who's in charge here? You know, Bisbing's the champion, but George St. Pierre seems to be dictating terms in terms of when the fight's happening. So, I don't know. I don't know. I mean... GSP is, is, in some ways, he's played this very well because he's, he's, he's created the buzz about him coming back. How, when do you ever hear a press conference being held to announce a fight with no date? And Never. No, and no venue? Exactly. You know what I mean? So they were so keen to get this out there. But what it's done, it has put all the cards in GSP's uh, hand because... If he says, I'm not ready, he's not going to sign a fight. Bisbing has basically committed himself to this fight now. Um, now, it's going to take one hell of a decision for Michael Bisbing to say, well, screw you, I'll fight you in November if you're ready in November, but I need to defend my belt. That 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 is one course of action he could take. I think from a business standpoint, I think his management would advise against that because the big money fight, is the George St. Pierre fight. And while Bisping did a fantastic job to beat Luke Rockhold and, and get the championship belt, you look at the people who he could potentially be fighting in International Fight Week, whether it's Yoel Romero, whether it's Rockhold again, whether it's um, Gegard Mousasi, 
they're all incredibly competitive, very, very difficult fights. And those fights could go either way. Um, so it would be an enormous, enormous gamble on Bisbing's part to now back out of the, uh, the GSP fight as his next fight and take a fight in the interim. It causes one hell of a problem. And the person who has caused the problem, and Bisbing gets a lot of flack, the person who's caused the problem is George St. Pierre. Because Bisbing was all ready to fight. And GSP's the one moving the goalposts as far as I can make out. So um, if this is the fight that the UFC are committed to, then fine. They need to create an interim championship belt. They need to do it at International Fight Week. And they need to do Yoel Romero versus either Luke Rockhold, Robert Whittaker or Gegard Mousasi. Um And then the winner of that fights the winner of GSP versus Bisbing. And that's something that I also think is very important. If this GSP-Bisbing fight happens, as part of that fight contract, I think you need to lock in the fact that if GSP wins, he has to defend the belt. Otherwise, why bother? Do you know what I mean? You know, all this... Everything has become an absolute mess with some of these championship belts. And, and we need to get back to brass tacks and we need to get back to what this sport is about. And that is the best fighting the best and the people holding the gold belts are the best fighters in the world because they've beaten the best guys. Bisbing beat the number one guy in the world, Luke Rockhold, to win the belt. GSP really shouldn't be jumping into a middleweight title shot, in my opinion. The reason he is, is because he sells. Um, and if I was Rockhold, if I was Whitaker, if I was Masasi, yeah, I'd be pissed off. I'd be, you know, if it was happening in July, I'd be like, that's annoying, but I've, I'm going to get my shot. I'm going to get my shot next. No one's going to fight for the belt until 2018. That's basically what we're saying. No one in the middleweight division in that list, if you look at the middleweight top 15, no one whose name doesn't, you know, basically anyone who isn't Michael Bisbing, no one from rank 1 to 15 is going to get in a middleweight title fight for the undisputed belt until 2018. That's not right. That's not right. And, and this needs dealing with. It really does. And I think GSP is, is, he wants his cake and he wants to eat it as well, you know. And uh, the UFC need the money, so I think they're bending for him. So that's my take. That's the end of the questions. But I do want to end on this, Simon. Break out. The Red Nappies. We want to give a big congratulations to Connor and D. Uh, D gave a uh, gave birth to a baby boy, a healthy baby boy named Connor Jack McGregor, or Connor McGregor Jr. as he'll be better known uh, known as moving forward. Um, and uh, the happy couple um, and uh, new parents didn't waste too much time in getting Conor McGregor Jr. set up with a verified and official Instagram account, which, as of this recording, already has, without any posts whatsoever, over 55,000 followers, which is absolutely remarkable. Um, But I wanted to say, Simon, um, Conor McGregor's a father now, right? You're a father of one. You've got your second one uh, en route uh, coming up. (laughs) Uh, sometime in the next kind of like four or five, six weeks or so. Yeah. Um, what 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 is Connor going through right now? He's a couple of days into fatherhood. What what's kind of going through his mind with his baby boy in his hands right now? 
the best way to describe it is basically everything you learn in life as a man, right? As you're growing up, you learn you learn just, you know, just bits and pieces about living life, right? And you live your life by certain rules and timetabling and you know that at certain times certain things happen and all the rest of it. The minute you have a baby, you can rip all of that up and throw it in a bin because it's absolute chaos. Your world turns upside down. You're running on very little sleep to start with. And it's adrenaline for most of it. And it's it's exhilarating. It's exciting. It's terrifying. Um, but it's also brilliant. It's also brilliant. And I think what it will do, it will it will instantly give McGregor, and this isn't in any way saying that McGregor isn't a mature guy because he is. He will very, very quickly establish another level of maturity that he never realised he had. It and his his focus will change. Every decision he makes about his fighting career, about his business uh, ventures, any any decision he makes now is going to have the family aspect in the back of his mind. Now, yeah, he had family before, but it's all different now. It is all different now, and it's you know, it's something I've I've. I've had and it really I, I I never envisaged being a parent I've got to be honest with you when I was growing up I never I never really I never thought that I would ever be a dad and uh I'm gonna have two I'm gonna have two girls very soon I've got one already there's another one on the way and uh yeah it completely it just changes everything it changes absolutely everything I'm delighted for him I'm delighted for D and I tweeted Connor and I tweeted him saying he wasn't born to take part He's here to take over. Enjoy it. Life, life will never be the same again, because it won't be. And uh, I think, I think we'll see. I think, if anything, we might well see a a more a more chilled out, reflective Conor McGregor. Maybe in some of his interviews, he's quite a, he can get quite fired up and, and feisty. I think we might see an extra layer to him in the next few weeks and months. I hope so. Um, because I think that's when we see the best of him when he he leaves some of the histrionics to one side and just talks normally. And uh, I think we might see a bit more of that. But yeah, I wish them all the best. It's 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 an amazing thing. And uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how that does impact on his fighting career. Whether that really inspires him to go on and achieve even greater things in the sport, or whether it makes him sort of withdraw a little bit and say, Do you know what, I've done incredibly well. Now I want to. I want to. I want to look after my family. So it's interesting to see how how he goes from here. But yeah, I wish them all the best. It's 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 a you know it's a great thing. And also also to his dad Tony. I know he's uh, incredibly proud of his son. He's going to be he's going to be walking around uh, walking around incredibly proud now as a as a grandparent again. So uh, yeah, congrats to him as well. Well, as advertised, as, as promoted, as promised, we couldn't keep it within sixty minutes. We couldn't keep it within an hour. And if you're still listening to our uh, lovely, eloquent British voices, you know that we've gone well beyond an hour yet again. So uh, appreciate everyone listening. But that is, that's a wrap for another week, Simon. Brilliant stuff. Episode number 38 of the Brit Pack, done and dusted. I reckon it's probably about two hours again. Um, thank you so much for listening. You can get us on Twitter, at MMA at SimonHead, at the Brit Pack MMA, most importantly, Send us your questions uh, anytime, day or night. Our Twitter is open for business. Tweet us the questions. 
We'll keep track of those and we will do our best to answer answer the best ones on the show each week. Go to the website, thebritpackmma.com. You will find every show we've ever done. So if you want to go back and listen to just how terrible we were on show one, you can do that. Um, and uh, you can check out a few other bits and pieces. We will endeavour to get our pre-fight picks up on the blog this week as well. Um, you can get us on... I don't think we call it Apple... It's, it's Apple Podcast now, I think they call it, rather than iTunes. Apple Podcast, Stitcher, SoundCloud, uh, Acast, YouTube. Uh, anywhere you can find a half-decent podcast, hopefully you will find Brit Pack knocking around there somewhere as well. Thank you to everyone for listening. Enjoy the fights on Saturday night. Tweet us your picks, don't forget, your five-fight main card. And uh, we will speak to you next week.